0: Alright, so we um, are continuing this series that we started last week called Big Questions, Biblical Answers. For those that might be new with us, what this is, this is based off questions given by y'all as students and leaders. Just the questions y'all had about Christianity and the culture around us and how do we respond to some of these things as a Christian. And so uh, last week we talked at what does the Bible say about slavery and tonight we're going to be asking this question as a Christian... What do we say to race relations? What do we say about racial reconciliation? That word gets thrown on so often, and we see it so often in the news and on social media, or maybe even some of you in just your classrooms or sports teams or or jobs that we have to understand, okay, how are we to wrestle with this from a biblical worldview? How do we filter all of this through the Word of God? And so that's the question we're going to be answering tonight. So let's do this. Let's pray. And then we will jump right in, okay? So let's pray. Dear Lord, um, I come and I confess um, that that we are in desperate need of you. I confess that, that I am just unable to properly communicate this without the power of your Holy Spirit guiding every word and every action. We are incapable of understanding this without your grace being able to open up our minds to grasp this and wrestle with this. So dear Lord, would you do that tonight? Would you just remove any sort of pride that I maybe have in and of myself to proclaim your truth unashamedly and that it's your truth and not my opinion? Would you just open up our minds to be able to properly understand this? Would you open up our ears to hear the truth that comes from your word? Would you open up our eyes to see even more of our need for Jesus? Would you open up our hearts to be able to receive this truth? That as we just saw, that your word is sharper than any any double-edged sword. Being able to separate just soul from body, bone from marrow. And would you do that today? Would you just lay our hearts open, examine it through your word that you'll convict us where we need conviction, you'll encourage us where we need encouragement, and that ultimately this truth will just be bore in our hearts that will lead to bearing fruit, that conforms us more into the image of Christ, helps us glorify Him and continue to make Christ's name known. So would you be glorified and honored through the rest of this time as only you can. We pray all this in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen. All right, so there is a verse that I want us to start with to kind of get us going. This is going to be the starting point of where we go. And so you don't have to turn there in your Bibles, but it's in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, where this is what it says, okay? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. So some of you might hear that and go, Brandon, what in the world does that have to do with race relations? What in the world does that have to do with racial reconciliation? And, and what it has to do with that is I think too often we are wrestling with flesh and blood. That we are wrestling a spiritual matter through earthly means. And so when we try to wrestle with the spiritual matter through earthly means, then we are all going to find a solution that is skin deep and doesn't get to the heart of the matter, is that ultimately this is a spiritual issue. And if this is a spiritual issue, then we have to understand what is the truth behind this, that we are wrestling with truth. This truth that we talked about last week, this truth that if we abide in God's word, as it says in John 8, if we abide in God's word, then the truth will set us free. So if we are wrestling with truth, then we must filter it and examine it through the sufficient and authoritative word of God that is objectively true, that helps guide us in all of these different steps. And that's what we're going to wrestle with tonight. We're going to wrestle with ultimately what this is. This is a spiritual issue. And we're going to see that as we go throughout Scripture. And I want us to look at five different truths of how we are to respond to race relations, how we as Christians are to respond to that. So the first truth is this. There is only one race and that is the human race. There is only one race, and that is the human race. So in fact, even in Genesis 3, way back in the beginning of Genesis 3, verse 20, it says this, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So Eve was the mother of all living things. Every person born after Adam and Eve. And then we see this even reemphasized in Acts 17, verse 26, where Paul says this, and he said, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So it says God made from one man everybody. So we all come from the same origins, that there's only one race, the human race, In fact, this whole thing about, let's say, race or races has been a social construct that we've seen come about over the last several years. In fact, when we see the word nation in Acts 17, 26 there, it is where we get the Greek word ethnos, where we get the English word ethnicity. So yes, there is one race. God made one race, but he made many ethnicities. One race, but many ethnicities. Or in fact, when you look at, let's say, Acts 17, 26, some of y'all's translations might say that from one blood, he made all of mankind. That we all come from the same blood. We come from the same origin, which is Adam and Eve. We all bleed the same blood on that. In fact, science backs this up as well. Here's the thing. Every human being is 99.9% identical in genetic makeup that human beings are 99.9% identical in genetic makeup. So very start, we must understand, we are speaking, we have to speak with biblical terms. Not the worldly terms we see, but biblical terms based on ethnicity and not race. Because there's only one race, and that is the human race. And so we're gonna see the ramifications of that, what leads to these next truths. So truth number one, there's only one race, and that is the human race. Then we have truth number two is everyone is made in the image of God. So the entire human race is made in the image of God. And so we see the verse that oh, so many people quote for this, and that is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, where it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this word man refers to the entire human race, that we are going to make the entire human race in the image of God, that God imprinted himself on everyone in the human race. So if we realize that everyone is made in the image of God and we're all a part of the same race, the human race, that affects how we interact with people. That affects how we view other people. It should help us realize and see that the same image of God that is imprinted upon us is the same image of God imprinted on someone else. Regardless of skin color, regardless of their background, regardless of where they come from, regardless of geographically where they live, all of us bear the image of God on our lives. Because everyone is a part of the human race. Or this affects something else. If we're all part of the same human race, one race and we have the image of God imprinted upon us, then this means that if we view ourselves, or let's say our group, as higher than another person or another group, or if we view another person or group as lesser than or even subhuman, then we are ultimately sinning against a fellow image bearer of God. But not only that, it goes even greater. Not only are we sinning against a fellow image bearer of God, but we're sinning against the person whose image is bore on them, which is God himself, which is the greater sin. That's where we see the, the evil of racism, when we see people that are, that are viewing themselves as greater than another group, simply based off skin color or physical characteristics. In fact, it is even living out James 2.1, where we saw, do not show any partiality, do not show any favoritism on that that we show favoritism we favoring one group over another or favoring our group over the other then we're ultimately sinning not only against one another but ultimately against god and as we see is that the favoritism is a sin it's the anti-gospel and it has no place in the kingdom of god or his followers but unfortunately this type of attitude exists this type of attitude exists in different people. And we see that in attitudes and actions because of the third truth. And the third truth is this, is that everyone has sinned against God. Everyone has sinned against God. Now, I hope you have your Bibles because we're going to be flipping around a lot. <laughs> everyone has sinned against God. So this is what it says in Romans five twelve. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... Adam and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all have sinned. So sin came into the world through Adam and that everyone that came after Adam is born with a sin nature. So if Adam and Eve are origin and everyone born after them is born with a sin nature, that means everyone, everyone, a part of the human race is born with a sin nature. Here's just a couple other verses to reinforce this. If you go back just a couple chapters in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it says this, All, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. Or in Romans 3, 23, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not a particular group. Not certain people with a certain skin color. It says Everyone. And everyone means everyone. Everyone a part of the human race has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We even see that in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, where it says we are dead in our trespasses. We are dead in our sins. That we're just following the philosophies of this world. That we're slaves to Satan. That we are children of wrath, under wrath. Or it says in Jeremiah 17, 9, how it says our hearts are deceitfully wicked above everything else. They need to be made new. Or in Matthew five nineteen through 20, it says, out of a man's heart is what defiles him. It's out of a man's heart. It's not based off a skin color. It's not based off the group they come up. It's about the heart. That What comes out of a person's heart is what defiles a person, is what causes someone to sin. It's not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. It's ultimately a heart issue. Because when we don't address the heart, then we see these sinful attitudes and actions grow and develop, and we see stuff like the enslavement of Africans, as we saw from the 16th and 19th century. And it's that we have this attitude grow and fester and view other people as lesser than, rather than people made in the image of God. But here's the other thing. It says how in Psalm 49, verse 7, everyone has sinned, and it says no one is able to atone for their sins. There's nothing we can do in of our physical power to atone for our sins. Which means our sin nature we we're born with is not based off skin color or physical appearance. So when we understand that all have sinned, this also affects the way we view others. It means that we are no better than the next person. It means that we cannot atone for our sins just like they cannot atone for their sins. It means that we can commit just as much heinous sins as anyone else. And it also means that we are in a desperate need for a Savior. So everyone is a part of the human race. There's only one race, the human race. And that everyone has the image of God imprinted on them. Everyone has sinned against God. And then here's the next truth. Truth number four is everyone is in need of salvation. Everyone is in need of salvation. So again, we are still in Romans 5. So this is what it says in Romans five eighteen. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So righteousness is made available through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So think about this. Just as through one man, sin entered into the world and affected everything, and everyone's born with a sin nature, through one man in Jesus Christ, He offers us salvation for the entire world, for those who repent and believe. Or just a few verses before that, in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, where it says this, but God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners Christ died for us since therefore now we have been justified by his blood how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of god so just as we were born with the same blood we're able to be born again by the same blood of Jesus Christ or in Romans 3:24 through 26 we saw in Romans 3:23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and listen to this beautiful news we see in this. Verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. Now, this was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that we might be just, that he might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we saw, just as all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all are able to be justified and saved for those who repent and believe in Jesus. Or this in Ephesians 2 8, that we love to quote, that you are saved by grace through faith, that this is not your own doing. We are saved by grace through faith. It is not our own doing. It's not based off skin tone or the group we're a part of, but this is based off the grace of God and our need for a Savior. Or in Psalm 49, 15, we saw in 49, verse 7, it says, we cannot atone for our sins. But then in Psalm 49 and 15, it says, God will ransom our souls. God atones for our sins. There is nothing we can do to atone for our sins. Which means this, at the foot of the cross, we are all even. At the foot of the cross, it doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter just how much melanin is in our skin. It does not matter where we come from geographically. It does not matter our background or walk of life. All of us have sinned against a holy and perfect God, and all of us are in desperate need of a Savior. And that Savior came and died to pay the penalty for all of our sins for all of time, and offers us salvation. So when we understand that we are all in need of salvation, this also affects the way that we view others. It means that we see Jesus died for others just as much as he did for me or for us. It means that we are in just as much need of Jesus as that person is. It means that any and all people can be saved if they will repent of their sins and believe in Christ and receive salvation. Again, regardless of how much melanin might be in their skin, regardless of geographically where they come from, regardless of where they are located, regardless of their background, everyone can be saved. We're all even at the foot of the cross for our inability to atone for our sins and our desperate need of salvation. Because here's the thing, it's not about ethnicity, but enmity. It's not about ethnicity, but enmity. It's about our hostility towards God. It's about our desperate need for a Savior. That's what we're in need of. That's what we're in desperate need of. Now, you might hear all of these four truths, and, and you might be like, Brandon, what is the point of all of these? What do any of these things have to do with with race relations or or racial reconciliation? And it all leads up to this fifth and final truth, is that unity and reconciliation is only possible through the gospel. That unity and reconciliation is only possible through the gospel. Because too often people are trying to wrestle with this matter, this ultimately spiritual matter, and they're trying to wrestle with it through earthly means. When we try to tackle a spiritual issue through earthly means, it's only going to lead to more confusion and more division. And this truth leads into the second one, which is this, we cannot be reconciled to others until we are reconciled to God. We cannot be reconciled to others until we are reconciled to God. Here's the thing. Any attempt at reconciliation without the gospel at the center, without the gospel as the game plan, will always fail. It will always fail. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. This is what it says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So think about us, us who were once far off, that was all of us, who were once far off, wanted nothing to do with God, were at odds with God, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. God is our peace. Christ Jesus brought us peace. Because we cannot have peace with others until we have peace with God. We cannot be reconciled to one another until we are reconciled to God ultimately. And that Jesus has made us both one. Jesus has broken down the wall of hostility. Jesus has broken down the pride in our lives and cut it at the root. The enmity that we had between other people and between God. Jesus is the one that creates one new man. One new redeemed human race. The redemption of others and the reconciliation of others is only possible through the cross. Again, when we try to wrestle with this issue, with this race relations issue, and we try to re- wrestle with racial reconciliation on a flesh and blood level, we only try to go skin deep with this. Again, the effects will only be skin deep. It will be superficial and we'll have no lasting change. But here's the unfortunate reality in the world around us. People are searching for every possible physical solution when this is a spiritual issue that can only be resolved by the cross. And people are looking every other direction but the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's how we see in Matthew 22, 36 through 39, where Jesus gives us the greatest commandment where he gives the greatest commandment that we are to obey as followers of Christ. Where it says this, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. So literally love Him with everything we got. That we are to hold nothing back because Jesus held nothing back in saving us. But until we get the first commandment right, once we get the first commandment right, then we can get the second commandment right. Until we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, until Jesus has transformed our hearts, we won't be able to properly love our neighbor as ourselves. Until we're reconciled back to God, we won't be able to be reconciled with our fellow neighbor. Or again, in Acts 4.12, it says, there is no other name under heaven or earth that anyone can have salvation except through Jesus Christ. There's only one way to reconciliation, and that is through Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. Just as we talked about last week is that a lot of times we want to talk about society reform. It's not a bad thing. But ultimately, the Bible's ultimate goal is to point us to spiritual redemption, to point us to the salvation of our souls. That's why it says in Luke 9, 19, 10, where Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost, not to change systems and transform a society. However, like we saw last week, is that once you transform the people in that society, then you will see transformation in the society around them. And transformation is only possible by the gospel. Transformation is only possible by the gospel. So when we get the truth of this matter right, then we will see transformation and reconciliation. When we truly grasp the the spiritual matters behind this, then we will be able to speak to this issue with biblical clarity, through the power of the gospel empowering us. And as we saw in John 8, 31-32, that people will know the truth. And the truth will set people free. And then we will see reconciliation. and We will see transformation. We will see souls being brought from death to life. And we will see people from all different walks of life being reconciled to one another. This is only possible by the gospel. It's only possible by the gospel. It's not based off a system or an ideology. It is based off the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing. Diversity is a byproduct of the truth. Diversity is a byproduct of the truth. It's not something where we try to force everything around externally and then we'll get something internally right. We could change all the systems in the world. We could follow all these different worldly philosophies, but if it doesn't transform the heart, then it won't end up in what we truly desire. Diversity is a byproduct of the truth. Then we get the truth of the gospel right. When we get the truth and how to speak clearly, clearly to this issue, then we'll be able to get this right and we will truly see diversity is produced of that. Because the greatest reconciliation needed is our being reconciled back to God. In fact, I want to give us this beautiful picture of what we see. We see that we are one human race, but we are many ethnicities. We see people that are reconciled back to God. I want us to look at this beautiful picture that we see in Revelation. And I want us to look at two verses. And I think, unfortunately, too often people stop at one of these verses. that's in Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, this is what it says. This is, this is the vision that, that God is giving the Apostle John about the end times and, and what it's going to look like. And so he's getting a vision of what heaven is going to look like. So this is what it says in verse 9. After this, I looked up, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and I think too many people stop at verse 9 they'll say man this is a beautiful picture of what it looks like we need to we need to have this now here on earth we need to strive for this now and yes it is absolutely a great goal to strive for it is a beautiful picture of diversity it is a beautiful thing of what heaven's going to be like. But we've got to understand, why are all these tribes, tongues, and nations there? Why are these people clothed in white robes? Why do these people have palm branches in their hands? Why is there this great multitude far beyond the eyes can see? We get that answer in verse 10. So let's look at verse 10 where it says this. And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That salvation belongs to our God, not an ideology, not a system, not sociology, not a worldly philosophy. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. The lamb who is sacrificed to pay the penalty for all of these nations for all of time, they could be reconciled back to him. That is what this is all about. And so that's what we see when God is on the throne of our hearts, then we will start to see that great multitude even now. But as long as we are sitting on the thrones of our hearts and we are wrestling with these issues through earthly means, then we will never get it right. We must get this right. We have to get the gospel right on this. So how does the gospel respond to race relations? How does the gospel respond to race relations? Everyone bears the image of God. Everyone has that divine imprint on them. But also, everyone has sinned against God. So everyone is in desperate need of a Savior. Everyone is in need of salvation that only comes from God and provided by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And He offers salvation to all people, to the entire human race. And that Jesus reconciles us back to God, which is the most important thing, which then leads to us being able to be reconciled to one another, which will be the byproduct of that. So we understand that. When we see the need for people to be reconciled back to God, and we see people trying to find this reconciliation in so many different ways that won't last and that won't work, this should propel us to go out into the world to proclaim this gospel message. It should propel us to proclaim this gospel message to all people. That's why we see in Matthew 28, 19-20, Jesus says, hey, go and make disciples of all nations of all nations of all tribes of all tongues of all languages of all people he says i will be with you always even to the end of the age even to the end of the age when we see revelation 7 9 and 10 of every tribe every tongue and every nation gathered around the throne saying salvation belongs to our god that's what it belongs to Here's what it also means for us. That if we are saved by the gospel, we are now entrusted with the gospel. That if you have repented and believed in Christ, you have been now made an ambassador for Christ, representing the kingdom of heaven. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if we have repented and believed in Christ, that same gospel message that saved us, God is now entrusting it to us, And he's sending us back out to go proclaim that gospel message to others so we can see others be reconciled back to God. So we can see others be saved by the gospel. And the gospel sends them out to other different places as it spreads to all over the world to make disciples of all nations. Again, as we said at the beginning, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle against the spiritual evil forces in the heavenly places. But again, we are promised about this gospel. We're promised that Christ is with us even to the end of the age. And he even tells us in Matthew 16, 17 through 19, when when Jesus established his church, he said, not even the gates of hell will prevail. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against us. That Satan off hell cannot stop us from advancing this gospel and seeing people reconciled back to God and seeing other people reconciled to one another. That the gospel overcomes all, including any division that we might see. But most importantly, the salvation of souls. This is the truth that we proclaim. This is the truth that will set people free. This is the truth that we are to proclaim as followers of Christ that are desiring reconciliation above everything else. That until we are reconciled back to God, we won't be able to be reconciled back to one another. But we are encouraged that this gospel will not fail. His word will not return void. And He is with us always, even to the end of the age. And we are surrounded by the throne. Surrounded by the Lamb saying, salvation belongs to our God. This is our message. This is our story. This is what we get to proclaim. And that is the truth that we get to speak to other people. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we are just so thankful for you. We are just so thankful just for your finished work on the cross. We are just so thankful that, that even us who are so far off and so far gone that you have brought us near because of the blood that you shed on Calvary's Hill to pay the penalty for all of our sins for all of time. We thank you that you did not not come to save a particular group based off skin color, but you came to save sinners. For Jesus, I am the foremost. We thank you that you offer salvation to everyone who will repent and believe. Thank you for the truth of your word that equips us and guides us for every good work that you have prepared for us. So God, would you equip us Would you prepare our hearts? Would you help us be able to take this truth and go back into our workplaces, into our schools, into our jobs, into our sports teams, into our neighborhoods, so that we would proclaim it boldly, that we would implore others on behalf of Christ to be reconciled back to God, Now we are encouraged that not even the gates of hell prevail, that we will charge onward to see other people being saved by the gospel, and to see other people gathered around that throne, I will be also singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, that salvation belongs to our God. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's only by your grace we're able to do this. So by your grace would you carry us forward to continue to make Christ's name known. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.